0: Love,
1: talk, radio. Well, hello everybody and welcome to Book Journeys Radio. My name is Dr. Angela Loria. I am the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the difference process for writing a book that matters. And every week on Book Journeys, we talk to an author about their experience uh, with writing publishing and promoting their books. Uh, This week we are lucky to have with us the author of six books, um, Dr. Patricia Farrell. Dr. Farrell, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you to be. I'm nice to be with you.
1: And your latest book is called Fired Up, A Shrink's Musings, and we are always wondering what psychologists are thinking about us (laughs) and about the world. So tell us a little bit about, about Fired Up, what's it about and why did you decide to write it?
0: Okay. Well, you know, over the years, I've had a lot of opportunities to really, to interview people. Some of the people quite famous, uh, you know, Isaac Asimov, uh, John Lennon, oh, I can't think of even all of them, but a number of people. So I've done interviews with them, and and I put I decided that that would be good material that I could put into a book. And then I've done a number of articles in many. Uh, I send out press releases. I used to anyway, which were really short articles on a variety of topics that I found of interest or use for people, whether they were in the field or they wanted to know a little bit more about the field. So this book is really a compilation of a number of different uh, genres, I should say, and it really goes, it covers a wide array of topics. I mean, I go everything from how do you know you're going to a person who really is qualified to help you to uh, what was it like meeting John Lennon in Toronto with Yoko Ono at their hotel um... to how and this is i think for anybody who writes, this would be probably one of the best things to read and it's a it's an interview with isaac asimov where he actually told me took me in his apartment which he had in the oliver cromwell hotel in manhattan where he lived for years and years uh... took me into the apartment and actually showed me the physical layout of everything and how it was really all geared to him producing books at an incredible rate. I mean, when I met him, he had already written and published 125 books. And after that, I think he must have published another 200 books before he died. And he was just the most incredible man. He did absolutely every single bit Of the writing process himself in other words he had a number of electric typewriters because he typed everything only one draft never edited anything one draft straight through and he worked on nine different projects at one time because as he said to me well when I get tired of writing on one you know or I kind of feel like I've I've written all I can for that day I pull out something else and he had a very strict writing routine, which I think J.D. Salinger also had a similar routine, in that he got up in the morning at about 6 o'clock, he would make his own breakfast, he would go into the living room, which was really covered with books he had a thousand books in the living room that was his personal library and he had this writing center set up with one of his typewriters and these nine drawers each with a different uh, book that he was working on And let me tell you the books were an annotated don juan he was writing a book on the uh, i think it was the um, the sensual old man or something he was writing a book on something he's just writing a book on everything and he said, I don't have a secretary, I don't have a typist, I don't have an editor, I don't have a publicist, I don't have an agent, and he said, and I don't go to lunch. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I said, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do? He said, I work. I work from 6 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. I take a break for lunch. I have it here in, in, in my um, apartment. Um, and then I take a break for dinner, and I just work straight through all the time. And I, I just—it was just so incredible. And then he said, "And I have to show you something. Why I picked this apartment to be the one that I wanted?" And I said to myself, well, what, did, "What did he pick? What is it? What's the meaning of this particular apartment?" So he said, "Well, to the bedroom." And, Of course, I said to myself, "Oh, this is going to take an interesting." And here turn. we go. Yeah. <laughs> right but it but it didn't because he said you see now the bed faces those two windows they're on the front of the building but he said now you see the windows the two windows on the side i said yes he pulled up the shade and he said you see what you see i said it's a brick wall he said absolutely right no distractions he said so keep the ones in the front down so i don't look out on the street the ones for the brick wall that no distractions there. He said, I minimize all my distractions. And I I had wanted to take him out to lunch because I was working for a magazine at the time, Publishers Weekly. And I was amazed when he said, no, no, I I don't want to go out to lunch. Just come over and we'll talk. And he was a delight. I have to tell you, the man was a delight. And I spoke to him a number of times after that and I spoke to him once just maybe about six months before he died and he at that point he was really thinking about you know life is too short and you really have to work and work at the things that you really want and achieve and just keep going at it and you're going to get there and it was like I I, sense this change but the but the happiness and the bubbliness was still there every once in a while it would punch through and he was just he was just such a memorable and brilliant guy absolutely brilliant and he said something which really stuck in my head he said you know what i can write a book on almost anything but i can't write a book if nobody else has written a book on it before me he said because i use all of those other books, yeah, right, I use all of those other books as material or inspiration or whatever. So he wasn't a plagiarist in any way, but he knew that, you know, he didn't have to be the first one to write a book on something. He was very happy to be able to take any difficult material and some of the material he tackled was quite difficult, he took any difficult material and turned it into something that anyone could understand and appreciate and even want more of. Because as you wow. probably recall, he started out writing science fiction. And right, uh, once, he discovered, you know, once he discovered that that was uh, lucrative, he said it paid more money than I made as a professor at Columbia University. So... So he said all those little checks just kept coming in, and I decided I was going to be a writer. I wasn't going to be a professor anymore, and I quit. (laughs) So, so that's the book. And of course, you know, and he was just the most interesting person. And then um, I had an opportunity to speak to somebody who actually was the first. Uh, I believe the first inductee into the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame out in Cleveland, the most people would think, well, it's got to be a rock star. It's got to be somebody who plays with a big band. No, it was Alison Steele, who in the New York area and probably all over the country was known as the Nightbird. And she came yeah. on, I believe, around midnight, Right. And um, she was married to a fellow who did one of the original uh, TV dance shows for teenagers on television in this area, New York area. And I met her, and she was just incredible. And that was just, I happened to be doing a TV show, and they said, you know, I said, who's going to be on the TV show? And they said, well, you know, we're going to have Allison Steele on. She's the Nightburn. I said, oh, my god i have to meet her and when i did i mean she was just the most gracious most absolutely engaging person you'd ever want to meet and she talked about her experiences in radio and and that was really quite a, an interview i really remember that um and john lennon so of course to write have-
1: book so to write this book, you actually took interviews you had done throughout your career as kind sure. of the, mm-hmm. the basis of the content. So how Absolutely. much new content did you have to generate? You know, as a you know as a percentage of the content that is in this book that you had already created.
0: Well, I would say new content was probably everything because I I write quite a lot. I write a lot. Um, so probably over the past five years, um, I would have written, I would think, uh, between 20 and 30, maybe 40 articles a year in various places and for different things. And I would sort things out for that. So I, I don't, as I recall now, I didn't write anything specifically for this book, absolutely brand new content. I may have... I may have um, taken one thing, and that was a very interesting article I wrote um, on a a person in a psychiatric hospital and um, and the particular challenges that anybody in that setting has to face. And I did have to rework that quite a bit. But um, I was very fortunate that I had an enormous trove of information and articles. As I think Nora Ephron said before she, uh, once she was interviewed, just a couple of years before she died, she said, you write things and you put them away, and some of them get used uh, or they get published, and some don't. And you take all that stuff because that's all material, and you use it, and you do not let it go to waste. So that was my orientation, and I really was working on that book even before I absolutely fell in love with Nora Ephron's writing, and uh, Mm. it was such a loss for all of us, you know. Mm. But, um, yeah, but it was, you know, you, you you write something, it's good, you believe in it, you don't throw it away. You may have to rework it a little bit to fit into a different genre or to update it or whatever, but I don't believe that your hard work isn't worth keeping and perhaps re what they call repurposing. You know, everybody's talking about Mm -hmm. repurposing these days. So repurpose everything you've got, you know, use it, you've produced it, you've slaved over it. You've, you've looked for material for it. You've interviewed people for it. You know, don't just throw it away. It's, it's, because what does that say you you 're not producing junk you 're producing something that has quality that has that has use and that you can reuse in a maybe in a new way. maybe you can put it into something entirely different doesn 't have to be a book it could be something else. it might spark an idea, but keep all that stuff because I go over some of my Older stuff, and I say, "Gee whiz! I, say, well, I, I really like that. Is that something I wrote? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so long ago. I can't, you know, I can't remember writing it." Um, but yeah, and there's, have you done I mean, that with something... other? I
1: know you've published five other books. Um, had had yes. any of those books been from previous content you've created, or is this the first no, time you've
0: done that? Actually they they weren't. Um actually the first book that I published was with uh, McGraw-Hill and that was How to Be Your Own Therapist and I was really and I still am I really interested in producing something for people who were interested to know about therapy. How do I go about it? About it? Who do I go to? What can I expect? all of that. And I decided I would write a book that would help them understand. Here's how you do it. This is what you ask. These are your rights. Um, you know, all of that. So, and that book was um, actually I had somebody who was a, a kind of a, a co-author on that who didn't get credit on the book. She was a wonderful woman who had worked with uh, a psychologist in the past. But that was all brand new material and um that was that book took a lot of work and took a lot of promotion and uh it was there was a lot of a lot of hard work that first book was was very hard i in fact to get an agent just to get that book written and originally i i had a slightly different slant on it i sent out a um prospectus with a covering letter and and my resume, which at that point I had appeared on maybe 300 uh, television shows and radio shows and been interviewed all the places. I mean, I, I built that up. I knew I was building up to something. I wouldn't get a book until I had some kind of profile, and I built my profile up to a point that I was very strong, and I went out and began looking for an agent. And I have to tell you, and everybody out there knows, it's probably one of the toughest things you can do because mm. you get a lot of people who don't even bother responding and you just go in the circular file and right. um you get other people who say well you know it's really not something i'm um interested in i was fortunate I, I after probably i would think 40 to 60 um, packets went out and everything went out you know, in, in a special envelope the priority mail because I learned from being in publishing and public relations that you want your piece of mail to stand out so you don't just send a letter in you send it priority mail but every one of those is going to cost you $4 and not everybody has that kind of money I didn't either but I knew that that would make them look at it and I would get a little more mm. consideration there. And, you know, every bit you get is going to be mm. helpful. And and finally, I got somebody who came back and said, yeah, I, I like this idea, and I have a couple people I want you to talk to. And then we went on the process of going around and meeting publishers and talking to them about the book and this was i think it was in june or july and it was 104 degrees and Mm -hmm. and it was just you know you're running from one place to the next and trying to look crisp and 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 bright and um and you meet all these people and then a couple of them you know decide yeah we'd like to we'd like to make bids and you finally come to some arrangement and then you go through that whole rewrite process and constantly you know back and forth and you begin hating your book <laughs> because I said I can't uh-huh. read it one yeah, more time. I've heard that
1: story before.
0: <laughs> You know, yeah. You, you say I can't read it one more time. I mean, it, this is just getting too familiar, and it's and it's. I just can't. I need new eyes on it. I so am, am now allergic look. to my book. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, then you then you start. Going all over and, and uh, doing all of the media that you can, and I was very fortunate. I got so, on some shows, which they said, "Okay, you're going to be on a show to talk about this, but we'll flash your book on the screen." Okay, great. You know, I'll, I'll come and talk about cat food if you want. <laughs> Just flash my book on the screen. You know, so I mean, mm-hmm. you have to you have to approach it that way, and um, you you have to do many things which. Uh, maybe you never wanted to do. Or, I mean, you know, think about J.D. Salinger. How popular was he? But he refused to go out and meet people and, and do publicity after his after Catcher in the Rye. He felt, okay, that's it, and now I'm just going to write for me. I don't know. He's And he's got some crazy um, things in his will that say that some of his books cannot be published until I think 20 years after he dies. Um, mm-hmm. And he had... You know, and and he he had something happen to him, which I think everybody out there should also remember. Here is a guy who sold millions and millions of copies of his book, but he wanted to be in the New Yorker. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in the New Yorker to have a short story there? And he would keep sending stuff in, and they would keep rejecting him, and he Mm -hmm. must have sent... 25 or more pieces in constantly, constantly, and they would just keep, you know, sending very nice these little rejection notes back. No, this isn't quite what we want. Until somebody came along and said, Hey, wait a minute, look at this guy's. Look what he sent in. Yeah, let's publish this. And that was, and that was after years. I mean, it must have been 10 years or 15 years that he tried, and he just did not give up. He doggedly kept doing it. And that's what people really have to do. I mean, there are no overnight situations. So
1: let's talk about about what advice that you would give or have given to, I'm sure in the time you've been an author, you've met many people who have said, I want to write a book, um, but they haven't been able to accomplish that goal. What's some of the advice you've given those people through the years?
0: Well, you know, I think you have to do, the first thing is, unfortunately, you have to do a lot of uh, work, that is uh, unappealing and rather dry, and um, this, is, this is how you make your platform. You have to decide, okay, I have a book idea. Let's, one thing I hear all the time is, I want to write a children's book, because we see all mm-hmm. these very famous people, they're not writing children's books. They have ghost writers who write these books for them, please, you know. But they say, I want to write a children's book. Well, that's a laudable thing. Now, what kind of children's book will you write? Will it be illustrated or will it just be words? And what kind of book? Will it have some kind of teaching um, premise? Will it be a a morality tale? Will it appeal to which grade in school? Which child are you looking at? Now, you've got to go out and look at all the books in that particular area that have been produced in the past, let's say, year or two. You have to look and see what kind of sales they've had. You've got to see um, where they are, if they are, on a bestseller list. You've got to compare your book idea to theirs. Have they already done it? Uh, You have to look at your competition, even before you start writing this book. Then you Mm. have to now start structuring your book okay this is great this is where i want to go that's how they went i'm going to go that way and i have a twist on it and i think my twist is going to make it different enough that it's going to appeal to that audience and that may be true but that's what you uh-huh. have to do then and then you have to start writing. And, you you know, I, I say to everybody, it's been said to me, and I agree absolutely, the best way you learn to become a good writer is by reading good writing. Read all of the, of the really important books that have been produced in maybe the past 50 years. If you want to write short stories, then go out there and read O. Henry and read everything you can find read everything that all the classics read the language feel look at how they use language in such marvelous beautiful ways look what they look what they opened up for you you are going to take people on an adventure you're going to be their guide think of it that way but first read and read intently and make notes how did they How did they do this? You know, I had a professor in college once. He gave us an English um, kind of assignment. And he said, okay, here is something, and I can't read, uh, Saul Bellow. Here's something by Saul Bellow. He mm-hmm. handed it out. He said, I want you to all read this, and now I want you to write something, write your, an original story, and I want you to write it in Saul Bellow's voice. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I handed it in, <laughs> and the professor said, Wow, you even outdid Saul Bellow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you out Saul Bellow. Saul Bellow.
0: <laughs> you know, so that was great. So, but give yourself give yourself assignments. Give yourself assignments that you're going and to read a certain you, number. Of-
1: you've had the experience of working with an agent, working with a traditional publisher, or worse, working with more right. of a boutique industry publisher. you self-published. What mm-hmm. advice would you give a first-time author for how to get their book? Uh, out into the world, how to publish their book.
0: Well, okay. I would say, um, you know, cut your aspirations to something down to the realistic. I would say, you know, just as I did in in the media, create a platform. Get yourself some kind of credibility as a writer. Look and see if there are some places that you can begin to place uh, short stories, novellas whatever they will publish okay begin to pick out those niches that you might be able to fill something right there and do that and anticipate you're going to get a lot of rejections but you may get Hmm. rejections from people who are going to be very kind to you and are going to say you know i think you have a great idea here i think you have a wonderful clear voice but i think what you need to do and they give you some suggestions well, run with that, mm. take that suggestion, do it over, and resubmit. <laughs> That's all, resubmit. And then maybe they'll say, yeah, you did a better job, or yeah, you did a great job. We like this. We're thinking of, we might publish this. I would say start small. Don't don't start thinking you're going to get a big bestseller, you know. Um, some of the people, and I have to tell you, there's, there's a horrible uh, truism in the publishing field. And a lot of people don't want to admit this. But I found it out through a variety of channels. Some of the best sell. first of all, a bestseller doesn't sell a lot of books. A uh, mm-hmm. bestseller, you know, might sell uh, 2,000 books. That's a bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, you will see people go on television and say, well, I sold 10,000 books, 10,000 copies of my hardcover book. Well, how many copies right. did you buy, right? Ah. They go out and they buy uh-huh. their books. Yeah, and they give them away. Okay, and they give them away to anybody. Okay, so uh, bestsellers aren't necessarily great books, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to aim to be a bestseller. I would want to aim to be a really good writer, and to say something worthwhile. In my books, that's what I try to do. I, I try to say something worthwhile. I'm, I'm working on a couple of different things right now, um, and I had been thinking, I like I like multimedia. And I like what self-publishing has done for me. It's given me a great deal of freedom. And the new media that we have available to us allows you to go and promote yourself. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but you know where you can go. You go to Twitter, you go to Facebook, you go to various other outlets, and you begin sending them copies. You know, you first query them. You send copies of your book out to reviewers or whatever. It's very hard to get your book reviewed. Very hard. Even I don't care that people publish lists of reviewers. Take a look. Take a look at who on that list actually will accept your book and take a look at it. A lot of mm-hmm. them don't. They say no. I'm not looking at books anymore. But why are you're on the list? Well, I'm on the list because I review books. But I'm not. I'm not looking at books anymore. I'm not going to review so, yours.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. I'm not going to review yours. You don't bother sending it to me. What I would like to do is, and I wanted to do this 10 years ago, and the publisher said to me, and that was a major publisher, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. Uh, You know, no. I said, but you've got to do that. And I wanted to do it in a different way. That The technology was quite different then. I believe, and only the major book publishers, e-book publishers, the big, you know, what they call bricks and mortar houses, can do this. They have arrangements with Amazon. You can produce an e-book that is—they call it enhanced. That means you can include in your in your written book, you can include video, audio, and various kinds of, of uh, you know PowerPoints or whatever. And I think that is wonderful. iBooks does that right now. They will—they make a template available to you. You could just for free. You could pick up one of their templates and start. You know, writing immediately on their template, and you can plug in all of your pictures and all of your video, and and you can do voiceover and do whatever you want. They don't have a very good royalty arrangement, and uh, they have a lot of restrictions on writers who decide that they would publish with them. Amazon does have that uh, platform, but they don't make it available to independent ebook. Publishers. They only make it available to like Harper and Row, you know, McGraw Hill, or Simon and Schuster, all the big houses. But I see that coming down the road, and yeah, I see, if it's you, let's say, you know, think for instance, children's books. If you wanted to write children's books, you know, kids love visuals. You know, they watch television. They use iPads. They use, the, you know, smartphones. They are into the visual. They're not really into the written word so much. But you can incorporate both in an enhanced ebook. If they make that format available to us, I would certainly jump on it if I had the opportunity. Think what that can do. And I think that's only a few years away. I don't think that that people like Amazon can afford to deny all of the talent that's out there that would be able to produce these really interesting books that would be um, instructive for the kids, that would be delightful. Uh, You know, I think we are now uh, going to appreciate a new wave in publishing, just as filmmaking had the new wave in the 70s and 80s. They went to a totally different new way of doing films. I think we're going to go to a new way of doing book publishing. But I think the first thing you've got to do is you have to establish your credibility as a writer. There are lots of people out there, you know, like you watch watch television and have all these programs about people who want to sing. You know how many singers are out there? You know how many kids play on the local basketball court and want to go to the NBA? How many of them ever make it? How do you make it there? You know, you make it by either getting a coach or you get an outlet, you have to get some kind of name. I don't care if it's a local name, you have to be known in some way. You have to you have to go out there and start selling yourself as a writer. You may not be comfortable with that. Well, if you're not, you could probably you could turn into the next Harper Lee. You know, she wrote like one book, which was To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, ref- yeah. She refused to do anything else. She refused to... I mean, that's an excellent book. I think it's, it's fabulous. Everybody should if read If you're going
1: to write one, that's um, a good one.
0: Right? Oh, she was fabulous. But she refused to do any publicity whatsoever. Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, uh, wrote every single day and put it in a trunk. And it stayed there for I don't know how long. And suddenly, somebody came to the house or whatever, and they said, oh, you know, Margaret writes, Really? This person knew a New York book publisher. Really? Uh, well, give me something. I'm going back to New York. Give me something and I'll read it on the train. And so she went upstairs, opened the trunk, pulled out a chapter, gave it to him. He went to New York when he got there he said And that oh was my God. gone
1: with the wind, right?
0: That was gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. Well,
1: that is the end of our time together. But Dr. Patricia Farrell, it has been wonderful speaking with you. You can go to drfarrell.net. That's two R's and two L's in Farrell. Dr. Farrell is the author of Fired Up, A Shrink's Musings. And we will be back next week on Book Journeys Radio where we're changing the world one book at a time. I your begin begins The rest is still unwritten yeah.